So we are in Genesis chapter 2, and uh, we are in a series that Pastor Derek uh, kicked off last Sunday. And uh, we're calling this series one, and it's, it's a two-week series, and so, uh, so um, we're going we're gonna to finish it up today. Now, what I loved about last, last week's message and what Pastor Derek helped us to see right from Ephesians 5, okay, so the point of Ephesians 5 that he brought out for us is that your true marriage is with Jesus. That's where your true marriage is. And so that's, that's the marriage that God is working on right now. And what I wanna do is I wanna build off what he set up you know, last Sunday. And I wanna get really practical in this, in, this, in this message about our earthly marriage. You have your true marriage with Jesus and, and you have your, your earthly marriage with your spouse or your future spouse. And I wanna just get into the trenches about that today. And uh, I, I know, you know what some of you are thinking, I can kind of hear it right now. Some of you are kind of pushing back, you know, you're here today, you're watching online or whatever, and you're thinking, okay, I'm, not, I'm, I'm single, so this message really doesn't apply to me. So I'm just gonna check out. That would be a huge mistake. Because what Pastor Derek helped us to see last Sunday is you know, what the Bible teaches about marriage definitely applies to you, whether you're single, married, or single again. It absolutely does because your true marriage is with Jesus. And the applications, you know, are right there, whether you're single or not. So this series really is for you. And there is something that God wants to give to you today. And so that's our prayer uh, today, that you would grow in your love for Jesus and you would understand marriage a little bit more from God's perspective. So there's a lot of talk in our culture today about marriage. Uh, our government is, you know, has defined marriage. And uh, so it, this impacts every single area of our life. And you need to understand it. But here's, here's the biggest thing. And, I, and you know, my love, I, I absolutely love the scripture. So I want you to fall in love with scripture. So I, so I try to give you, you know, tools to kind of help you understand uh, this book. Um, and, and the thing about, the thing about the scripture and the story of scripture is it's about love and marriage. That's what this is about. And it's fascinating to me because the beginning of the story of scripture begins with a wedding. And then the end of the story ends with a wedding, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then everything in between is about God preparing and God pursuing his bride, which is you and me. The whole thing is about marriage. And so for you to sit back and say, well, you know, I'm single. I have no intention of ever being married. So this sermon doesn't really apply to me. That, that, you know, saying that is like saying, well, the scripture doesn't apply to me because I'm not, I'm not married. You can't really say that. The whole thing is about marriage. And so that's why this is absolutely huge. So what I want to do today is I want to just take a minute and I want to pray for us. Because, you know, when you're dealing with a topic like this, there are a lot of different emotions in the room, even as I'm speaking right now. And we just need to go to the Father and ask the Holy Spirit to come. So would you, would you just pray with me for a minute? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we ask that you would show up in a big way today. We ask you would send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, and the counselor to us today. And God, we just acknowledge that 
we know that marriage, the topic of marriage, evokes a wide range of responses. Lord, we acknowledge that there are a lot of people within the sound of my voice are wounded. Some are wounded because of the dysfunctional marriages of their parents. Lord, some are wounded because their parents' marriage came apart and they were cut off from one parent or the other. And some are wounded because they would just love to be married and they're not. And some are wounded because they are married and they really wish they, really wish they weren't. Lord, some are just wounded because their marriage has been marked with just deep disappointment and pain. God, we just thank you that you know exactly where each and every one of us stands right now. You know where we are. And we ask that the Holy Spirit would minister in, in only the way the Holy Spirit can. can. God, that, that you love us and you want to bring healing. You want to bring joy. You want to bring restoration. We ask you would do that. And I ask God that you would say the word that would spark a blessing, that would spark a change. And so God, would you just work today? We, we quiet ourselves before you, the creator of the universe, and we ask that you would speak. We acknowledge we don't deserve to be spoken to, but we thank you that you will. So do that today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. All right, so let's, I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word today as we jump into this. We're going to begin at verse 5 and read to verse 8, and then we're going to skip down to verse 18. Hear the word of God. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper I'll make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man had called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was, no, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God had caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he had made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, that this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, 
and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is God's word for God's people. You may be seated. All right, so let's just talk about marriage. Bottom line, God designed marriage for our flourishing. God designed marriage for our flourishing. It's almost a laughter-invoking line today, isn't it? Ha ha, God loves us and he created marriage because he wants us to flourish. Why would, why would some people scoff at that? Why would some people laugh at that line? Because the reality is we know so many people who are not flourishing in their marriage. We, we know a lot of people who are just enduring their marriage, right? Now, what we do know is, you know, that, you know, while people maybe are a little bit cynical about marriage, they still get pretty amped up about the wedding day, the wedding ceremony, right? The pomp, the circumstance, and the bliss. They still get pretty excited about that. But we know for sure that it doesn't take long after the wedding ceremony for that bliss to land and kind of crash and burn on the rocks of reality, right? Of the fallen world we live in. It's kind of like going to Disney World. You know, I mean, Disney World's great, right? You got the castle and you got Space Mountain, you got the Star Wars exhibit, you got the Disney characters. And I think the best things are the Disney food, right? Disney hotels, Disney food. But, but what's the reality? The reality is it's still 99 degrees. It's still, you have to wait 66 minutes for a 33 second ride. That's the reality of Disney World. And isn't that, there, and there's nothing more true uh, as, it, as it comes to expectations being disappointed than in, than in marriage. Because we, we kind of come to marriage with this expectation and this perception that it's going to be like this, you know, this certain way, and it's not. And we find our expectations really disappointed. But the bottom line is this, still remains, that God designed marriage for our flourishing. So I think it begs the question, if God designed it then that way, why is it that so many marriages are not flourishing? If God designed marriage for our flourishing then what do we need to do to have a flourishing marriage? Because what we know is this, a nation can't flourish without marriage. A family can't flourish without marriage. You know, kids have a hard time flourishing without marriage. And so what's the secret to it? That's what we want to try to answer today. I think that there are three characteristics of a flourishing marriage. I think God has given us three things so that our marriages will flourish. And that's what I want to look at today. The first thing that he's given us is a marriage priority. He's given us a marriage priority. If our marriage is going to flourish, it's got to start with the right priorities. Go back and look at verse 7. And let me just show you this so that, so that you really get this. Because this is the foundation right here. Verse 7. So the writer of Genesis says this. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Now, from that passage, what do you see God doing? What we see God doing right from this passage is that God is creating. He is the creator. We've seen that all the way from Genesis 1 to this point in Genesis 2. He's the creator, and guess what? We're the created. We're the creatures. And what that means is, is he has ownership over our lives. He created us, so therefore he owns us. He has direct claim to our lives. We're not what, we are not our own. We belong to God. Why? Because he created us. And he has stake and claim over us. Isn't it true, church? Isn't it true that if you create something, you own it? It really is. I think, 
I think in every area except your paycheck. I think the government owns part of that, but, but uh, that's where it breaks down. But basically, if you're a musician and you write a song, who does that song belong to? It belongs to you because you created it. You know, if you're an artist and you, you painted something and, you know, it, go, it sells and people really love it, you know, or people don't like it at all, who does it belong to? It belongs to you because you created it. So what we're seeing is God establishing his authority over the man in the Garden of Eden. Why? Because he created Adam and he created Eve and he has direct claim over their life. Church, that means we do not belong to ourselves, we belong to him. Now, as an expression of that authority, God gives us commandments that we are to obey. Because with authority comes, comes the law, comes commandments. And he gives us this, you know, he gives us the commandment. So one day a teacher went up to Jesus and asked him about, you know, the most important, you know, commandments in all of Scripture. And Jesus answered in Matthew 22, you know, uh, he said this in verse 37. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. So what is Jesus doing? He's defining the priority relationship. God is the creator, so he gets to define that. He gets to call the shots. And what he's saying is this. He's saying there's no relationship in all of life more important than your relationship with God. There's not, there, no one or no other person should take the place of God's first place in your life as a person. There's, there's a priority there. All right, do you see that? And you, it's, it's evident right from the Garden of Eden that God establishes this place of priority. All right, now let's just apply it to marriage. If, if our relationship with God is the priority, priority relationship, does that change when you get married? No. No, it remains the priority relationship. So when you th think about it this way, your relationship with God is more important than your relationship with your kids. It's more important than your relationship with your boss, it's more important your relationship with your spouse. This is the foundation. So what we see in Genesis is God giving us a marriage priority, a marriage priorities with him. Derek said it great last Sunday, our real marriage is with Jesus. And that's the whole point of why we live and move and have our being. Now, I don't know if you've seen, you know, the Disney movies like Aladdin or, um, you know, Beauty and the Beast. And so many times Disney's, Disney is sending us a theology. They are selling us on a certain theology about God and about how the world works. And part of the theology that they're selling, especially in the Beauty and the Beast, is, and, and we absorb it and we buy into it and we don't even realize we're doing it. But what's the message of Beauty, of beauty and the Beast? The message is this, that somewhere out there in the world is my one. That there's some person out there who is my one true love, my one true soulmate. And when I meet them, they're gonna complete me. They're gonna be perfect. They're gonna, they're gonna make me happy. They're gonna make me satisfied. My one, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna look for my one because my one is out there somewhere. I've got a quote unquote soulmate. And that's part of the myth that Disney perpetuates in the minds of a lot of young, young people today. Now listen, you're, high, you're in high school, you're in college, you're single and you're looking to get married. Can I, if you don't get anything else I say, you need to get this, okay? The person that gives you warm fuzzies is not your one. Your quote unquote soulmate is not your one. Mr. Right is not your one. Miss Right is not your one. 
Jesus Christ is your one. That is the truth. And I love how Craig Rochelle puts it when he, when he says it like this. He says this, God is my one and my spouse is my two. Isn't that so powerful? Man, doesn't that just cut through the fog? God is my one and my spouse is my two. And what I've seen as a pastor, when I see marriages about to jump the tracks and head into the ditch, I see couples getting this inverted. They're making their spouse their one and God there too. And that is a recipe for disaster. Because what you're doing to your spouse, you're teeing them up to fail. Because they cannot live up to it. They were never designed to live up to that. Only God can be your one. And so as, a, as, you know, as married couples and you know, as we're thinking about getting married one day, we need to understand that God has given us a marriage priority. And God is our one and our spouse is our two. Listen, if you make your spouse your two, you're gonna idolize and then demonize your spouse. That's what you're gonna do. Because you're gonna set them up and then they're gonna let you down and then you're gonna start demonizing them. And that's about the time when marriage counseling starts. Because you've, what you've been doing is you've relied on them to be your one and they just can't do that. They can't be that for you. And... Um, and you see it so many times in young, you know, younger couples, uh, you know, you fall in love with this guy, you know, he's so handsome and you love, he's so laid back, you know, he's just cool, you know, he's just laid back and cool. And that's what you love about him, you know what? And then you marry him. And then after marriage, you know, things start really changing, you know, now he's so laid back, he won't pick up his dirty underwear off the kitchen floor, right? He won't stop playing video games right now. And what you used to love him, love about him, you know, how laid back he is, now that's annoying you in the marriage. You see that? Or you meet, you know, you meet this beautiful girl and you start dating. She's just drop dead gorgeous, you know, and, and you know, you love the fact that she's very organized. She's very detail oriented. That's exactly what you need because you're not detail oriented, you know, and you just love that about her. And then you get married and you start living with her. And you find out her organizational, her organizational skills are really uh, cover for OCD. She's like obsessive compulsive about everything. And she's making you load the dishwasher, you know, with color-colored dishes and by shape and everything. And it's just driving you crazy, right? And what's the thing about that? What you loved about them now is starting to annoy you. Why? Because you idolized them. You started leaning on them to be what they were never meant to be for you in the first place. Let, let me just say it another way. We've got, we've got to take the pressure off marriage to be the central place of our happiness. It's just never meant to be that. God is your one. Your spouse is your two. Does that make sense? It is, it is, it is, it is that simple. And, um, and so I find paradoxically what happens is that when you make God your one, your love for your number two actually increases. Okay, because now the spirit of God is flowing through you, transforming you, changing you, and your, your love for your two increases because you're loving your one. You're fulfilling your purpose in life. Your marriage is getting traction. Let me share with you what C.S. Lewis says about this. He was, he, this is so profound what he's, you know, what, what he wrote. This, he's writing a letter to a friend, and this is what he wrote in that letter. 
He says, when I've learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. In so far as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving towards a state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, they're increased. Now, do you get what he's saying there? He's saying that when you put God first, you know, second and third and fourth and fifth things are actually increased in your life. It's just the mystery of marriage. It's part of God's marriage priority that he has for you and me. So what you have to start with is this this simple truth. God is my one, my spouse is my two, all right? So here's the question I wanna ask for you. you Have you been idolizing or demonizing your spouse? Is your love for your spouse increasing or is it diminishing? Those are the real questions. So we've got a marriage priority. We also, number two, we have a marriage partner. So skip down and look at chapter two, verse 18. Let me show you this right from the scripture. So the Lord God said, well, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. All right, now this, this, past, this verse is loaded. This, is, this thing is absolutely loaded. So let's, let's just try to scratch the surface with it. So, so what you have here, if you, and you can go back and read it today, but if you read Genesis 1 and you know, the preceding verses in Genesis 2, what you find is you find this recurrence of God pronouncing it good. So God will create something and he calls it good. He'll create the heavens and call it good. He'll create the earth and call it good. Everything is good. I think seven times he does it, if I count it correctly. And then lastly, he looks at the whole thing and he says, that's very good. Okay, so he's looking at creation and he's saying it's very good. Then we get to Genesis 2, we get to verse 18. Then all of a sudden he throws us a curveball right down the plate and something he says is not good. Like right in the middle of it. And sin is not entered into the world. You know, there's no fall yet. But God has created this perfect place, but yet something's not good in the midst of perfection. What is it that's not good? That Adam is alone. What is not good is loneliness. That's what the scripture says. So what we see right from from the pages of, of scripture is that God designed us for community. God has designed us for relationship. And Adam is beginning to feel the void of that in his life. And that's long before the fall even took place. Isn't that interesting? That should be instructive to us. How much we need one another. How much we need community in a very individualistic society. And so, and so what God does is, you know, God commands Adam to start naming the animals. The animals kind of start parading through and, and, and Adam's kind of indexing them and naming them. And he's, he's showing his dominion over creation that, that God has called Adam to rule over creation. And there's a hint of sadness to this because as Adam is obeying God's commands, he's looking for a helper. He knows something's missing. So each animal goes by, you know, zebras and giraffes and, you know, turtles are going by. He's like, no, that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. And then it, and then it says, it tells us no suitable helper was found for him. And it's like there's sadness there. Now, this is where if you're single, you need to really dial into what I'm about to say. 
you know, when you're kind of thinking about your singleness and you would love to be married and God hasn't opened that door yet, whose responsibility is it to bring your two into your life? It's your one's responsibility. It's not your responsibility. The weight's not on you. You know, you don't have to manipulate and control and fret over it. No, this is what, what we see God doing in Genesis is God is working behind the scenes. Adam is looking. He's got his eyes open. But he's being obedient to what God has asked him to do. And that obedience is a sign of faith that, God, that God's going to meet his needs. And I think if you're single, that absolutely applies to you. As, you. as you think about your desire to be married one day, it is the responsibility of your one to bring your two into your life. It really is. And uh, I would encourage you, focus on your obedience to God. Focus on your trusting God and God will show up in a big way. I love how Andy Stanley says this. He says it like this, become the person who the person you're looking for is looking for. I love that. Become, I know it's not grammatically correct, but you get why he words it this way. Become the person who the person you're looking for is looking for. What, what he's saying is this, seek your one as you prepare for your two. Obey your one, focus on your one, develop your relationship with your one. That's, that's God, right? That's Jesus. Jesus is your true marriage, but then trust God to bring your two into your life. And so that's what we see. God works. Uh, he puts Adam to sleep. He removes the rib from his side and he creates Eve from Adam's rib. And then as a father walking the bride down the aisle to present her to her new husband, God walks Eve and brings her to Adam. And what does Adam say? Whoa, man, that's it. She's beautiful, you know. That's where the word woman comes from, whoa. Um, okay, yeah, so God provides and God moves in a huge way. And so what you need to focus on, obedience and trusting God. All right, now notice the other part of this. He says this, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. I'll make a helper fit for him. Now, this is where a lot of women kind of bow up a little bit because they think this is demeaning to them. They think that this, this puts women as inferior to a man because they're just kind of, quote, unquote, the helper. You know, that they're, they're, you know, they're uh, not equal to a man or inferior to a man. And what I would say, church, is if that's your perspective on this, you're not reading it right. You probably haven't read it at all. When people say about the church that, you know, this whole perspective that the wife is, is the helper of the man, you know, that that, is, that puts women down, that is absolutely not the case. I mean, just think about it. Think about Genesis 1 and 2. When God creates Adam and Eve, he creates them equal in value before God. And he creates them equal in their purpose before God. So they're equal in value. They're not the same. They're different but they're equal before God in value and they're equal before God in purpose. So you're like, how do you know that? Well, because Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. That's what Genesis 1 and 2 tells us. Now, the animals weren't created in the image of God. The stars were not created in the image of God. You know, the rivers and the oceans were not created in the God, but Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. That's why they are the pinnacle of God's creation. 
so men and women have equal value before God. But not only that, men and women have equal purpose because God gave the command to Adam and Eve to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, to rule the earth. That commandment landed on, on Adam and Eve together. Now, I think this is kind of interesting because I think in traditional American culture, you know, and even in the church, traditionally in America, we've always said now a woman's place is in the home. We've always kind of said that in the United States. And I would just say that that's not biblical. You know where, you know where a woman's place is? Next to her husband's side. That's where she is. That's, that's the biblical perspective. And... Uh, and so she's to be right there. You better believe she was not in the home. If, if you know, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, if he was out raising livestock or raising, you know, you know crops or whatever, she was out there with him by his side. So, so that, is, that is God's design for marriage. But some people still push back. I still don't like that whole concept of, you know, being a helper. Well, just think about it, church. How many times in, the, in Scripture, especially in the Psalms, does God, re, you know, does the Scripture reveal that God is our helper? How many times is, does the Bible refer to God as our helper? Hundreds and hundreds of times. Does that make God inferior to us, the fact that he's our helper? No, he, he, because he's our helper, uh, he's, he's really superior to us in so many different ways. Because what he does is he brings certain things to the table that we don't have. Power and wisdom and love, right? And so really in Hebrew, this whole concept of helper has a military connotation to it. So you're fighting this battle and you're overrun five to one. You know what I mean? I mean, they've got, you know, thousands of troops and you just have a few hundred and you're just being overrun and you call out for what? Help. And God as your rescuer comes to help you because they're so powerful. That's the image of a helper. You see, the thing about a helper is a helper knows, has some things that you don't have, things that you really need. I mean, just think about when your kids ask you for help with their homework. You're supposed to know more about it than they do, right? Yeah, you, you're supposed to have knowledge that they don't have. And so that's, that's what the wife brings to the table. There's something missing that Adam needs that she has. There's a strength and a wisdom and an intuition and a perspective that she brings to the table. That's really, really important. Helper, it, far from being inferior, I think it conveys something superior than what the, you know, the man has. Now, ladies, don't get a big head and go home and say, now I told you we were the better gender. That's what Pastor Scott said. Um, because really what you see in Ephesians 5 and in other passages is that likewise men are to help their wives. So what you see is a balance, okay? What you see is a complementary relationship. And so... Uh, the man brings certain things to the table as well that she needs. That's why God created them, male and female, for each other. So we've got a priority. We've got a partner. Now we just need a pattern. We just need a blueprint. We, 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 need, a, we need a design. We need a game plan for how this is going to work. And he gives us that in verse 24. Look at what it says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
Now, I would submit to you right there in verse 24 is God's pattern for a marriage. It involves three things. Leaving, cleaving or holding fast, and then one flesh. That is God's design for marriage, all right? So let's, let's look at the first one. Let's look at cleaving. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. What he's talking about is there's gonna be a day when your children need to leave. They need to leave the parents. They need to cut the cord. They need to move on into adulthood. There's going to be a day when that takes place. And it's painful. You know, as mom and dad, you know, letting go of your kids, that's really painful. But that's a part of God's design. It's a part of his blueprint for a marriage that the children leave the father and mother and then become united to their, to their spouse. And it's essential. And church, what I see as a pastor is there is great sin in this area, in the church, in the United States, because mom and dad don't want to let go of their child. And the child is trying to leave. He's trying to cut the cord and he's trying to cleave to his wife, but he can't because mom and dad have their hands of control all over him. And what we do is we actually hinder the cleaving process because because as mom and dad, we really won't let go. See, if you don't leave, you can't fully cleave. If you don't leave your mom and dad, your mom and dad are going to try to control and manipulate and you don't want that. And so there's great, there's just great sin in this area. And especially, you know, if you're parents of young kids, you know, the, the, the whole, con- this is where helicopter parenting really takes a toll. Because what you're doing as a helicopter parent, if you don't come to a place of letting your kids go and releasing them, and you should be releasing them just a little bit every day as they're growing and developing. But if you don't let them go, you're setting their future marriage up for failure. Because you're getting in between, you know, this, this couple. And, um, and so I just think if you don't leave, you're never going to be able to fully cleave. And that's God's, that is God's heart for you. Can I, can I just give you three practical ways that you can leave? Let's just get really in the trenches. Three very practical ways. Um, I, I think one way that you can leave is to leave your parents financially. Leave your parents financially. That's really, really important. Now, I don't mean, now, listen, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? As, as a parent, you want to bless your adult children with, with financial gifts, that's fine. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. Just don't create dependence. Don't create dependence because that dependence is an avenue for you to be tempted to control this marriage relationship and you're not supposed to be controlling it. So leave, yeah, bless them. Just don't create dependence. The other thing, the other way that I would say that you can leave is leave physically. Your kids need to be leaving your house. Children, you need to leave your parents' house one day. You need to go establish your own house. Leave them physically. And what we're seeing a lot is the, is the you know, people in their 30s and their 40s and their 50s still living with their parents. And so you need to leave your parents Physically, you need to leave the house. You've got to establish your own home. And um, so I really want to challenge you. And the third practical way I would tell you to leave is to leave everyone else. To leave everyone else. You're like, what do you mean by that? Um, you know, one of the biggest problems in marriages today is Facebook. You know why Facebook is such a problem today? 
in marriages? Because we connect with our old flame from middle school, high school, college, and it stirs things, and man, it, it creates problems. You know what you need to do? You need to leave that behind. You need to, you need to cut that so that you can fully, fully cling to your spouse. All right, so that's the leaving part. What about the cleaving part? What does cleaving mean? What does it mean to hold fast? I, I think it, what it means is it means a permanent hold. I, I think it is, a, it is a, a public commitment, but it is, it is a complete grabbing onto and holding onto and then never, and then never letting go. That's what, that's what cleaving is. So let me give you three ways that you can cleave, all right? Three ways that you can hold fast. Number one, get married. Get married. You can't cleave until you get married. Getting married is the first step of cleaving. You've got to stand up in front of a group of people and pledge yourself to your spouse. You need to do that. And you need to make a vow behind that. And what we're seeing today, we've got good news and bad news when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to divorce. You know, the good news is the divorce rate's going down. The bad news is less people are getting married. And what's happening is more and more people are choosing to cohabitate together. They're choosing to live together and, and being sexually active before they make this, this vow. And I'm just telling you, church, it's setting, it's setting that relationship up for huge problems if you do that. And so that's why God's design is you get married first and then, and then you you know, you come together physically for that. So, so you, need, you need to get married and you need to, you know, parent your kids and teach them this early as our culture really forsakes, you know, marriage more and more. I love Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany in World War II. And I love what he says because he just totally contradicts what the world says about this. He, he, he was Marrying a couple, and this is what he said to them. He said, it's not your love that sustains your marriage. But from now on, it's the marriage that sustains your love. All right? He, he, you know, a lot of times we think, a lot of times we think our feelings are, are what's going to sustain our, you know, our marriage. Your feelings are going to go up and down and all around. You know, you're going to wake up one day and you're like, what in the world did I do marrying this guy? You know what I mean? Because you don't feel it at that moment. What Bonhoeffer's talking about is it's your wedding vows, your ceremony vows, your marital vows to one another. That's what sustains a marriage as you come back to them time and time again. And what happens is your love, your love for your spouse actually deepens. So you need to get married. Secondly, I would say if you're going to cleave is you need to pursue God together. You need to pursue God together. So, um, you know, what I mean by that basically is if you're, you know, if, you, if your husband's a Christian, your wife's a Christian, both of you are Christians and you can pray together, you can worship together, you can serve God together, you can share together, but pursue God together. And you're like, well, what if my husband's not a Christian? Because a lot of us are in that situation. Here's what you need to do. You need to focus on your one and love your two. And you need to pray, pray for your two to come to know your one. And don't need to nag your you don't need to nag your two about your one. You need to nag your one about your two. You guys follow me on that? Do you guys hear me? Don't nag your two about your one. Nag your one about your two. And then, you know, you'll deal with your three later. So uh, your, your kids. But, uh, 
But yeah, I think that's what you do. It's, it's simple, but it's not easy. But God will give you grace in that. The last thing I would say is continue to pursue each other. Continue to pursue each other. You're never going to stop pursuing each other. Never going to stop. Um, you know, I, 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 there's a, members of our church, uh, Ted and Pat Maple, they've been married 69 years. And they still love each other. And they still pursue each other. Isn't that amazing? And uh, man, that's the kind of marriage I want to have. So date nights and, you know, text messages and opening the door for her, guys. And um, respecting him, ladies, and communicating encouragement. Man, you just, you're, you're just pursuing him. And God blesses that. So I just want to encourage you to do that. Um, to leave and to cleave. And then what happens is you become one flesh. You just become so integrated. You just, you just can't imagine life without your two because your one is right in the middle of all of that. Let me tell you about an event that we've got coming up, April 26th and 27th. Uh, we're having a, a marriage uh, conference, a marriage um, simulcast right here. It'll be on Friday night, the 26th, and then part of the day on the 27th. We would love for you to come. And uh, it's for married couples. Uh, you know, you're engaged. You know, you're thinking about getting married one day. Uh, you, you, you're single and you're not even dating anybody. You, you need to come. And we would love for you to do it. So you can, you can go ahead and register. Registration has started. You can get more information at the info counter. But we would love to have this place full and for you to bring a friend. But I just want, you to, leave, I want to leave you with one thought. And this is what Pastor Derek really challenged us with last Sunday. That your true marriage is with Jesus. And I just want to remind you, like I do every Sunday, is think about how much your, your husband Jesus really loves you. I mean, think about what he does. He's so forgiving. He's so merciful. His mercies are new every morning. But even more than that, he emptied himself of everything and came to the earth and died for us. And that's why Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself war. So it all starts with our one. And I just want to encourage you in that. that God loves you. And he wants to bless every part of your life for your flourishing. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, I pray for the marriages in our church family. And I just, I ask that your spirit of, that the spirit of God, your holy presence would work in this place in a powerful way. And I pray that this week that some of us would go on a date night with our spouse. I pray that this message today would spark a conversation where a husband and wife get knee to knee and eye to eye and, and maybe they just kind of own where they are and where they want to be. Lord, that they would, that they would just come together to say, you know what, we, we, need, to, we need to make Jesus our one again. And so I pray, God, that you would just give us your grace, that you would give us the Holy Spirit, that you would give us the counselor and the comforter to help us in these things. That we would just see, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good and that the Lord's pattern for marriage is really good. And I pray that, Lord, that we would be a model to the secular culture around us who is so busy redefining it and 
in some ways, just in so many ways, corrupting it. But I pray that we would just live joyfully in our marriage and that people around us would see that and ask, what's going on with that? I wanna have that kind of flourishing marriage. Lord, may we be a witness to that. May we be a counterculture to that. So God, bring a renewal to this place. Bring a revival to our marriages and to our marriage with you. And we give you permission and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.